Welcome to the podcast and then what? Where I take time to talk to former country day school students about their experience going to college and then life after. Everyone, welcome to another episode of And Then What? Uh, today's special episode is I don't have a former student of Country Day School. I have an individual who has been creating graduates of Country Day School for the past few years, uh, Mr. Patrick Farley. Mr. Farley, welcome. Hi, how are you? Glad to be here. Uh, let's get to uh, a topic that a lot of the students don't usually talk about or haven't heard a lot about, and that's becoming a teacher. Uh, how many former students do you have that have become teachers? Oh God, I, I honestly have no idea. I mean, so it's been, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how you could do the law of averages on that one, but um, I don't, do I have many students who come back to me and say they become teachers? No, not really. Um, you know, I've kept up with a lot of my former students from the United States on Facebook and I kind of follow their, their travels and things like that, but uh, I haven't had too many of them that I can think of say that they've been a teacher. There's two I can think of. But I'm sure out of the thousands that I've taught that there's probably a couple more than that. Um, I think I'm, yeah. I'm at the same level. I, I think there's probably two or three over 20 years that I know I've become teachers. And uh, I don't know if that says something about us or something about the, the education system we're in. Is Well, I think it's generally. I mean, I had lots of students who, who show, have shown or still show interest in it but the the narrative that's kind of going out there now is you know especially with the pandemic like large numbers of teachers quitting and moving on to other careers and things like that where i believe it's the kind of job where you have to have a real passion for it and you know if you have that passion then at that point you know you can put up with all the other externalities that kind of impact the job and and, and things like that so it's i would say it's something you've got to love because if you don't love it you won't be around very long so with you as a teacher, where was that? Where did that love come from? How did you get into the idea of teaching? Um, well, when I was in college, uh, the, quickly the story is under, undergrad college, I was a history major with the plans to go to law school. Always loved history. Um, so I was a history major uh, with a government minor. And then um, the summer before my senior year of college, I went backpacking through Europe and you know, kind of evaluated what I wanted out of life and what I, what I valued. Um, and I knew I really loved the history stuff and I knew I loved to travel. So I kind of thought of careers that might allow me to do both and teaching um, was obviously one of those. So at that point, um, it was already too late in my undergraduate to, to change course. So I went back to where I was from on Long Island and got a master's degree in teaching. And that's, you know, I did my student teaching practicum at my high school that I went to. Um, and then at that point, um, just kept going from there. So which university did you go to get your four-year? Uh, that was York College of Pennsylvania. It's in South Central PA, um, about 45 minutes north of Baltimore. Um, it's a private school, um, decent size, um, not, not, not too big, not too small. Um, but I really liked it because you, you actually had class with all of your professors. You know, it wasn't TAs teaching. It wasn't, it was, you know, really, um, you know, small classes and, you know, good attention from your professors. I had some really great professors. What, what small mean for you in terms of class? 15, 20 people in the okay. class. Maybe, maybe the biggest was 30 or 40. Okay. But it wasn't like, you know, a university with, you know, 500 yeah. kids in a class. That, that, was, that was my university. Yeah. I, I, I can't even imagine doing that, to be honest with you, because 
I, I don't know if I'd be able to pay attention in, in that kind of a class. No, it's it's a struggle for the first year for sure. That having 500 in class and just looking at all these new faces and and you know it, it's outside the bubble you're used to. And um, you you lived on campus going to yes yeah yeah well, four years. Yeah. So I lived at home and that that was different as well. Is that I could leave the college life as soon as I left campus and go back to you know around the area where my high school was and live in that bubble still too. So um, for me, teaching was the back option. And, and maybe this is it for you too, is that in high school, there were teachers I loved and then teachers, I said, I can do better than that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, of course, kind of both pushed me in that direction, but like you had a, an idea to do law background and mine was kind of similar is that I always thought police officer, or they did a lot of recruiting my university for what was called CSIS, which was the Canadian version of FBI. Um, the one thing that always held me back is, do I really want to work in an office all day or do I really want to carry a gun? And in the end, the answer was no. <laughs> so uh, I spent um, eight years in college working full time to pay for it at the same time. And then during one of the years, I spent a year with my geography teacher, shout out Mr. Kylo, and uh, once a week in his class, just seeing how he taught the idea of teaching a class, which you probably got in your master's degree. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, the, the funny thing to, for me was I, I so I student taught with, um, you know, a, a woman who I didn't have as a teacher. She was actually a friend of my mother's. So it was that older, you know, the, the baby boomer generation. And um, it was so interesting to me to kind of get behind the scenes, you know, that of the place, maybe you saw this too. So now you kind of pull back the curtain and you see, and uh, I'll never forget because here I am, you know, bright eyed, young, you know, the whole world ahead of me, you know, ready to get out there and, you know, really dig into these classes, change the world, all that fun stuff. Um, and I'll never forget, I was sitting in the teacher's lounge uh, watching Mr. Haggerty, Richard Haggerty, uh, grade papers. And he was just sitting there and this guy like, had to be like mid, mid to late fifties near the end of his career. And he was just shaking his head going, wasting my bleeping time. And I was just like, I was like, man, like, look at this guy. Like he's, you know, and he had a side business. He was running summer camps. I mean, he had, you know, a million things going, but he was a social studies teacher. And you can just tell that he was at the point where he was just like, I don't even know what I'm doing here. So for me, that was like, well, okay, it's time, you know, to bring in the, fr the fresh blood here and, you know, use those new fancy PowerPoint and computers and, and things like that. And um, so it was kind of a, an interesting experience for me because then in my first job too, you had that older generation that was just on their way out and a younger generation that was coming up. And um, I guess we're kind of halfway through that cycle now, uh, generationally, at least in the United States, I can't speak to um, the international schools, but it's interesting me to for me to see the you know the differences between the new teachers and the, the young teachers and I see it here at CDS you know with you know the newer teachers who are just starting out just coming in versus maybe my perspective of 20 years in yeah and so going back to the beginning teaching wise for you 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 get your degree your four years you go to your master's because you say okay I want to be a teacher and then what's your first job look like so my first job was, I mean, I, I really got lucky to be honest with you. I, for my first year, I was able to teach. I didn't have a job right away. So I was substitute teaching. And then a leave replacement came open at an excellent school district on Long Island, at Plainview Old Bethpage 
uh, school district. My wife actually went to the district, uh, went to school there. Um, but I mean, fantastic district. I mean, large district, you know, excellent pay, excellent benefits. Um, so I just happened into a leave replacement there. Um, you know, a woman was out having a baby. So I stayed through that first year from October. I mean, the, the school year starts in September there. So I only missed a month. So I took over the classes from October. Um, they had a sub in the class was a real old dude. So I literally got a standing ovation when I walked in because the kid, he was just killing the kids. Um, and then, and so at that point I, I finished out the year and then something opened up. So being already working there, um, you know, obviously I had to interview and, and, and things like that, but at the same point, um, I was pretty much a shoe in for the job because I got along with all my colleagues. I mean, I was young, I was working really hard. I was trying to do my best to plan my classes, you know, first one in last one out kind of stuff. And, um, you know, so that, that interview was great because they said, you know, what makes you think you'd be a good fit at Plainview Old Bethpage? And I said, well, I already am. I already work here. It's like, this. <laughs> what kind of question is that? But yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, I already am. Ask anybody in the department. <laughs> I think they'll say I fit, fit in okay. You know, so, but yeah, so then that was the first, first three years. And then in New York, you get um, what's called tenure, where, um, you know, basically it's a job protection. It makes it very difficult for you to um, lose your job, even in cutbacks and things like that. So I got granted tenure and then I moved to Arizona, which every single person I worked with thought I was nuts because you don't do that. You don't get tenure at a great school district on Long Island where had I stayed today, I'd probably be making upwards of $130,000 a year um, with a full pension coming up in probably five, eight years from now. Uh, but I, that, that staying still and staying in the same place has always um, freaked me out. So that's when we moved to Arizona. I worked there for 10 years and then we went international. Uh, so I went to China for two years and then here at uh, Costa Rica for five. What was the, the one thing you weren't prepared for getting into teaching? The one thing you, you know, you're in your master's, you're doing your practicum and then you actually begin teaching that you, you just said, oh, this is not what I expected. Hmm, an excellent question. Um, Honestly, I don't think I was taken back by anything. I think for the most part, um, and this is, I guess this is still the hardest part for me is sometimes dealing with, you know, social emotional issues that kids have going on. Um, you know, um, I guess the stuff I wasn't prepared for was the life drama kind of stuff. Um, you know, so I've had, you know, unfortunately i've had students over the year who've committed suicide or you know things in those nature things like that that you don't really um you don't really prepare for um and i don't think any program or anything is ever going to prepare you for that so the emotional investment i guess is my answer to that question of the or the attachment that you get you know to your classes or you know as i said um i've i've always tried to keep things kind of arm's length professional things like that. And I think I've done a good job of that. But at the same time, when you hear stories about, you know, what some kids are going through or, you know, the, the, the challenges that they're facing, I think that's, you know, that's the part that maybe I wasn't prepared for. Well, you think over the past 20 years of teaching, the, the attitude of teachers and schools in general towards students and their problems has changed as well. That's more open now to, you know, to talk about and therefore the role of the teacher has also changed within a classroom. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I was just, just last night in the car, I was hearing my, my daughter, she's in eighth grade and her, her friends were all talking and they, but they were even using terms like test anxiety and, you know, um, attention deficit. And they were using all these terms. And I was like, when I was coming up, 
I guess I had test anxiety, but to me, test anxiety was, oh no, I didn't study for this test and I'm going to bomb it because other than that, but I mean, I'm not saying I, I recognize anxiety and test anxiety in general is a very, you know, very prevalent thing, but it is funny how those things have changed over time because as I said for me, it was just, yeah, I was nervous to take the test. And that was usually because <laughs> I wasn't prepared for it. I never had test anxiety if I knew the topic. Um, Do you think there's been a difference in the student you've seen 20 years ago versus the student you see now? Not really, no. Like teenagers um, are teenagers. And yeah, and that, that was interesting to me as far as traveling from New York to Arizona to China to Costa Rica is that in every job, you know, the cultures were different, you know, and you can, you can see those cultural differences. But at the end of the day, at every job I've been in, teenagers are teenagers and they're, they're going through generally the same life struggles that most teenagers are going through about trying to figure out who they are, what they want to do and their place in the world and their place within their friend group. And um, that, that's kind of, I guess, refreshing to see. Um, you know, obviously today there's a little bit of a difference with the, the digital tools that the kids have and things like that, but I don't, I still don't think it's very much different than when than we, when we were coming up and, you know, you use the phone or if you had the, the friend who had the beeper that would, you know, be able to get, get contact in. I mean, you know, we all still got by. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, from then to now, I don't see a huge change in the, in the nature of the teenager. What do you think has been a change in you then from a, a first, second, third year teacher and the way you teach a class versus what you do now? Ooh, um, like I'll say for me, when I started out, and it's the same like 2001, um, school I was at wasn't using technology. And in fact, they, the director discouraged it. And so we had textbooks and we had notebooks and we had, we had chalkboards and whiteboards. Overhead projectors? Uh, no, none. Not even that fancy, not even huh? That, Whoa. No. So it was, it was you know, told to, we write stuff on the board and teach from the board and, mm -hmm. and lecture and, and do that. Um, today, I... I don't lecture to that degree yeah. I, uh, hardly at all will i stand up there and lecture yeah now i'm with you on that one yeah it's gotten way more collaborative way more you know discussion group based i've always i mean i've always been a discussion teacher you know debate in the class or you know talk about a topic and you know ask questions to get kids um talking about it um so that about my style hasn't changed but the uh, certainly the technology and the tech tools that you know for me, it's just gotten more efficient. Now I don't have to make copies. Now I don't have to do all those things I used to have to do to prep for class. I can literally, you know, 20 minutes before class say, oh yeah, okay, I have that document, throw it up on Google Classroom and it's ready to go. I, and in the past, I'd have to say, what are my copies for the week? Because you'd have to stand by the copy machine and, you know, fight people for it and, and, and all things like that to, to be able to get that stuff done. So I think overall, it's actually gotten a lot easier because of the technology. Um, but I kind of went through the wave of, I started in a position like yours where nobody wanted to use tech. In fact, the union told us like, don't use it because then you're going to be evaluated for using it. And I was like, that's insane. Um, to, I feel like we got to a point where we got, you know, technology became a tool, but then I feel like it became a crutch. You know what I mean? And now at this point, so I was an ed tech director in my last school and I was actually trying to find ways to like cut down on the amount of technology because we went from kids on no screens in school to kids, I mean, the pandemic, it was 100% screen. So now I'm really trying to do my best to try and see what I can do 
without using the technology because mm -hmm. you know we we went from kids are deficient in technology we need to work it into school so they can be better at it to all of a sudden kids are way better at technology than any of us are mm -hmm. so why are we trying to wedge these things in there um, so I'm trying to get less screen time now. How do we convince kids that less screen time is better for them when they've grown up with it? Yeah, they don't, and they don't, I don't think we're going to, I think we lose that battle. I've, I've been trying to, you know, what's that Sisyphus pushing the boulder yeah. up the hill. I mean, but I, I think that's one of those things where this is the new, the new normal. It's the new way it is. It could be us being like two old men sitting here going, you know, there are different ways to do this that you don't need a phone. You don't need this. What, what are some of the soft skills that, you know, kids could really improve on going towards college then? I read a book, a friend recommended to me by a guy named Cal Newport called deep work. And his basic thesis of the book was that what the new economy is going to need is people who are able to focus on something for an extended period of time to, to think deeply about something and study it, draw conclusions from it. So I love teaching AP research because it's a, it's more of a, it's, it's not really focused on technology at all. I mean, yes, they use their screens to read papers and things like that, but at the end of the day, they're reading academic journals, they're reading papers and synthesizing it and, and writing something original on that. And those are the skills. But even then I can watch my students as they're working on research and then all of a sudden they grab their phone and then they look at this and they look at that and that. So our attention is always fragmented. And that's been a struggle for me as a teacher because I, back in the day when the kids did not have any cell phones or things like that, I would argue that there was more attention in class, if that, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yes, there was still a kid sleeping in the corner. Yes, there was a kid still passing notes to his friend. I get that. But now I feel like that's not an issue anymore. I just have to contend with, I know that they're palm on the phone or i know that when the computers are open for a google classroom mm -hmm. air quotes there's a million other things going on on the screen and i don't I, we can't police that you know mm -hmm. what i mean yeah. and schools have tried or tried lockdown browsers and, and things like that and i believe that the the most important skills kids are going to need today is the ability to concentrate and focus on something and if you can do that you're going to be of high value in this new economy yeah and it kind of kids can see the hypocrisy of it is that look mom and dad are on a phone all the time at home right in the car uh teachers out of the class on a phone sure you know using their computers all the time so seeing that separation sometimes as to okay what are they doing on that like they're not watching tiktok they're working on a phone and concentrating on a phone and they get distracted everybody gets distracted sure. but how do you pull yourself back faster from that distraction and get back to what you need to do. And um, for me, that's, I can't teach that. I actually did a crash and burn experiment with that at my last school where I tried to teach like mindfulness in the classroom, meditation, yeah. breathing and stuff like that. And it was awful. It was just such a train wreck because that's the kind of thing I think somebody has to willingly come to you uh -huh. and say, teach me this. You can't, you know, you can't sit in a meeting of 15 people and say, okay, everybody, let's all close our eyes and breathe mm -hmm. because everyone's looking around like, all right, this is ridiculous. You yeah. know what I mean? So, um, you know, I would love to see more programs of that in school of how to focus your attention, how to recognize you're lost in thought, how to recognize you're distracted. I mean, and I've been working on this for a couple of years now, and I'm still, I still recognize the fact that I'm a mess when it comes to my phone, my computer, 
you know, sit down to do grades and end up reading an, a news article about whatever's going on in the world. You know what I mean? And next thing I know, I, so many times I'll look at my screen and go, why am I here right now? What did I, what did I do? And that's, that's a, a problem that collectively we are all facing. And that's what I think schools should be transitioning towards, but we still reading, writing, arithmetic, you know, four core subjects. Doesn't, and- Does it seem like we've missed something in the past, call it 30 years of education as we've gone from, here's a textbook, you need to memorize these things and regurgitate on a piece of paper. And then it wasn't instantaneously, but it came so fast is that here's a computer, you don't have to memorize anything anymore because it's on, you can go find sure. it. And now you have to be able to analyze and critically think. And I'm not sure we're in the span of, you know, kindergarten up to grade 12, that switch can be put over. Like kids have a hard time finding information on this device still. Sure. And they, they have a hard time understanding what is good and what is bad on the device when it comes to finding information. Um, I sometimes wonder if 12 years of education is enough <laughs> to be able to do this. And by saying that, you know, I can hear the kids going, no, longer schooling, no, don't do that. Um, but if we're trying to prep them for college and college is supposed to prep them for life, I'm still trying to figure out for this generation coming up, where did they learn that? Where did they learn the difference between, okay, you don't have to memorize it, but you should know how to find it. Right, and to be able to sift through now, the inf I mean, at least back in the day, I handed you a textbook and that textbook might've been extremely biased. That yeah. textbook might've been wrong on some instances, but at least I knew this is where I get the information uh -huh. and I can open up that book and things like that. Now we say, open up the web and find this information and that, you know, that information literacy that is so important, but we don't, I would argue we haven't changed. We have not changed schools at all in 200 years. I mean, school for these kids is not looking any different from when me and you went to school, except they have computers, right? But they're still doing the same things. They're still focusing on the same things. And I don't know how you can unbake that bread because we are so ingrained with the idea that kids move up through grades by their years, by how old they are, not by how proficient they are, not by how interested they are, whatever. We're just saying, hey, Johnny, you're in 11th grade. You've got to take US history, like especially like in Costa Rica, this makes no sense to me. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at that saying, I'm the guy who's taught US history my whole career. And I'm sometimes wondering, why am I sitting here in Costa Rica teaching US history? It, it doesn't make sense. But because we have those curriculum in place that say, if you want to go to an American college, you have to take US history and things. And so we haven't changed our systems but we're still, you know, the world has changed. The computer has, I would argue, has changed everything. And we're still in the same classroom with a textbook or not, not the, the computer is now the textbook. So we've just gotten a more wide open textbook that now kids can't go to and say, this is the truth. They can look at it and go, this might be it. I don't know. How do we, we got all these kids going through the system, whatever country if it's Costa Rica or the United States or Canada and they're the system really does look the same as you need to learn certain things in this country to keep moving forward. How do you think that system has affected the fact of each of us probably only knows two people that are teachers? How do we create new people to teach the next generation if the system itself then is not inspiring them to do so? Yeah, I, that's an excellent question. I wish I had an answer for you. Um, you know, at, at this point, I'm wondering if education is to evolve, 
and you're going to have, you know, teachers are going to be people who, who literally teach critical thinking. Now, it might be through a scientific lens or a history lens or, or things of that nature, but the, the whole nature of, you know, learn these facts and spit them back to me is gone. So, you know, I, I don't really have a good answer for that one because it, it, maybe that's the million dollar question. If you can figure that out, you can. Uh, it's a hard one, like the, the regurgitation aspect of a course is still important to, to many different aspects. Um, but now there's so much information as an educator, I now have to pick through which ones I think or what the curriculum tells me as to they need to know these things. But if like in chemistry, if I don't know the periodic table, if I don't memorize it, um, if I always have to go back and go look at it, I'm not actually speeding up my work, I'm slowing it down. If I don't know that one plus one is two, I always gotta sure. put it in there. I'm slowing myself down. Um, I've seen technology kind of slow down growth in students with education because the reliance upon this now to give you facts instead of just knowing it uh, is not making necessarily a better student. Um, and, and the other problem I have is that I, I've only really seen school from a call a middle school, high school perspective mm -hmm. and don't have the expertise to say, okay, what's going on in elementary? I know what I went through. I know what you know, some of the kids have gone through, but there always seems to be a gap somewhere between year five to six and then eight to nine right. in multiple schools uh, that needs to be addressed so that we can actually create individuals who can go to college and I'm not going to say succeed, but have less stress in their life sure. going through it. Well, I'm a firm believer, man, that if, if, I, if I were a king and I was going to make a school, I would have... I wouldn't, I honestly wouldn't change primary that much. I think the fundamentals are taught there. The people that do that are amazing at what they do. And, you know, so the reading, writing, arithmetic, all that kind of stuff. I would do that up through fifth grade, sixth through like eighth or ninth. I would be, I would start doing away with academics and sixth through ninth for me would be more projects in your community, building things, learning how to be a human being, because I taught middle school for a couple of years and it's a it, it's a disaster i mean middle school kids i do, do not think should be sitting in a classroom learning academic material they've got so much going on in their brains they've got so much changes happening that um school is almost silly to me at that point that i think that that should be how to be a human kind of years how to work with people learn soft skills learn collaboration learn how to deal with teachers learn you know and all that stuff and then in ninth grade 10th grade let's come back to academics but more critical thinking type skills. So like, I love the AP capstone program here. I think it's, it's excellent because, you know, kids learn how to research little R research first, mm -hmm. uh, how to go out and look at things through different lenses, how to find good information. And then in the second year, they do their own original research. So there's no like, you know, safety nets there of, you know, just, just do what you're supposed to do and you're going to be fine. Jump through this hoop. You actually have to create something yeah, of value. Ask a real question. And even those, the, so even for me, my ideal middle school would be, no, you don't just have to pass the test. You and your, you and your cohort have to paint this mural and design it and, or, you know, and put it all together. And, you know, for, for this community or things like that. So go out in the community and find out what they want, what, what represents them. So you'd have, you'd have interview skills, you'd have survey skills, you'd have, collaboration skills you'd have artistic skills you'd have math and geometry and in, in the creation of the you know the space that you're going to use i mean there's a lot of things you can learn by doing rather than an eighth grader sitting in a math class mm -hmm. 
not paying attention because they're worried about the if the boy or girl next to them likes them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, we talk a lot in education about how we design curriculum. And there's so many schools of thought as to let's start with the youngest and work the way up to what we want them to be or backwards design mm -hmm. as to this is what we want them to be. How do we get them there? But in an in a environment like this, we're kind of missing the piece of university because university is the end goal for 99% of the students that come through this school sure. and more and more in public school as well. Um, universities being for profit most of the time their goal doesn't seem to align up with what we want kids to be sometimes. And so like in my ideal school, if I got a kid who's strong in math, I, I want them to go through math. And then I'm adding on pieces that makes them a better individual, a better person. But I, the overall aspect of you need to take biology and chemistry in this, okay, I can understand overall basic knowledge, but if I got a, a person that's really strong in the subject, seems sometimes the goal is to get all the other ones up to a level that's close to that sure. and slow them down in that area instead of, okay, let's go. You like this and you want to do it. Let's do it. And that's what a high school should be. And in my opinion, college, right? It should yeah. be you're, you like this, you're good at this, or this is something you want to do. Yeah. Let's do it. I knew in ninth grade, math wasn't going to be my thing. I was not going to be a math technician. I was not, I mean, I took AP calculus. I took it all. And to this day, I couldn't tell you one thing I learned in those classes. I learned how to do it. I learned how to use the scientific calculator to answer the question and blah, blah, blah. And I suppose that that taught me some advanced problem solving skills or, or at least perseverance <laughs> to, to get through it. Um, but I knew by that point that that was not going to be my thing. So I understand the old thinking of a liberal arts education is a little exposure to everything, right? It makes you a well-rounded person. I would argue the computer now gives us a little bit of exposure to everything. You know what I mean? We can pick and choose. We can sift through. So if I'm interested today in astrophysics, I can go watch, uh, what's his name on YouTube. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's abilities for us to do that. It used to be the school would expose you to that. I think we have the exposure. So school, I argue, should now be, let's take your, what you're interested in, what your talents are. My daughter loves art. She gets to take art, like, you know, for a half an hour, three times, you know, two, three times a week, maybe, but she takes math every day. You know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me that, you know, in that instance, someone who loves art, I'd rather her spend three hours a day doing art and then four hours a day doing other academics. Well, you know what I mean? With the realization of, you know, she has to take those math classes all the time because for end goals college, college is saying, well, we don't really want you to have art. Right. We want you to have this and right. these courses and this designation. Sure. And so, yeah, we as teachers understand the filter system that's coming through. Um, I think, I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of my days then trying to bring in a little bit of piece of real daily life from past experiences as to you're studying all this, but go out in the real world and go see how it's actually being used. Sure. Like if you love art, show me an area where there's going to be art being created all the time. Uh, show me, you know, if you love math, Go look at those new buildings and, and tell me about the structure and how they did that and what was math involved it's kind of getting to realize i think with liberal arts is that i'm going to teach you this stuff there's a reason we have to look at it you have to go find it and see it is it ideal for getting you to the place you want to be i think we don't know that because let's face it the, the issue that comes up with a lot of kids is i don't know what i want to do right. and college is supposed to help me find that out and uh i tell them listen 
I'm almost 50 and I still don't know what I want I'm still to do. not sure. I'm just gonna, exactly <laughs> just gonna say that. I'm still not sure. I've been doing this for 20 years, but I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And if, you know, as a parent, the, the uncertainty is we want our kids to go succeed out there and, and at least be able to make a living. And I think sometimes the education system has turned into that as we're, we're a, the safety net. Sure. Provided that, you know, let's, let's send your kid off to college and make sure they can get a job and earn money and whatever they really want to do later on in life, they'll, they'll hopefully get a chance to do it. And uh, that is life. Sure, yeah, it unlocks doors, right? So you get a bachelor's degree, a bunch yeah. of doors just open. You get a master's degree, a bunch more doors just open. You know what I mean? And whether or not you go through those doors or what you do once you get through those doors is up to you. But that's what education has been and I think still is, right? It's, it's unlocking opportunities, you know, get you to the next level, just like a video game, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, you've, you've, you've achieved this level, you get to move on, you know what I mean? Or... But, you know, and I have plenty of friends who went to college for X, Y, or Z, and now they own a pizza shop or, you know, and they're perfectly happy and content and making probably a lot more money than they would if whatever they did for their career in college. You know what I mean? So it's, to me, at the end of the day, it's about doing something you enjoy, um, not about, you know, making tons of money. And, you know, I actually had a student the other day who said he wanted to get a degree, make a lot of money so that he could be a teacher. And I said, well, why don't you just go straight to teacher? You, can, you don't have to go up, 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 up to come, you know, to this level. You can go to school and be a teacher within four years. And he's like, yeah, but I'd rather be financially stable first and have the money. And I understood that. And I said, that's great. And a lot of people do that, right? A lot of people come to teaching from other careers. And, and I think that's awesome for students to have exposure to as well. So he said, I want to go get an economics degree. I want to, you know, make, you know, a lot of money, blah, blah, blah. And then I want to teach. I was like, that's, that's amazing. You know, so for me in my career, I'm to the point where I wanted to teach. I knew I wanted to teach. And now that I've been doing teaching for 20 years, I'm thinking to myself, well, now what's next? What do I want to do next? And, um, you know, that's, there's not a one size fits all for everybody. And, you know, you don't have to stay in one career for the, for the rest of your life. I'm 44. So I said, all right, I'm 20 years into this. I said, I, I guess I'm halfway, right? I'm at the halfway point. If I'm going to work until I'm 64, 65, um, then We'll, we'll see where it goes from there. But, you know, as I said, you just got to find out what you want to do and, and do it. Have you had the question from any, any of your students, um, Mr. Farley, what did you actually want to do when you were younger? Did you always want to be a teacher? Yeah, no, I wanted to be a, um, I actually went to school for communications. I wanted, I was into video production in, in high school. Um, so I wanted to make, you know, make movies, make videos, make TV shows, and all things like that. Like, I, I mean, I look today at what these kids can do with that. I'm so jealous because we had, you know, the old VHS tapes, the, the big docs with the two things uh -huh. to do any edit, to do like a wipe or a star fade was like pretty amazing. Um, and I loved all that stuff. But when I, when I got to college, you know, I, I kind of, you know, my, my taste changed. I, I wasn't that into it anymore. You know what I mean? So what I was totally into in high school, suddenly when I was in college, I was like, all right, well, this is fun, but you know, I don't want to continue this so and that's when I started getting way more into history because of a teacher I had in high school you know what I mean it was like I knew I really loved U.S. history at the time and you know and all things like that so then I changed course and then as I said that's that's just been life you know and then I figured I would get my job on Long Island and teach there for the next 35 years and retire and next thing I knew three years later I was on the move and then I was on the same thing I had my kids there and I said well, I guess I'm probably gonna stay here and retire from here um, you know, I can do that by the time I'm 55. And then suddenly one day we were like, nope. And now I'll probably never retire because I've been teaching internationally and, uh, you, you know, the pensions and things like that aren't quite the same, but, 
to me, I, I, I don't look to the, hey, retire and ride off into the sunset. I've been traveling. I've been doing all sorts of stuff while I'm young. And honestly, when I retire, I just want to sit somewhere because I've been traveling and going all over and doing all this stuff that by the time I'm 65 years old, I'll be 70 years old. I'll be perfectly happy to just sit, read the paper and not have to travel and go anywhere, you know? So I said, that's because that to me, I love to travel. So that's why I went international. I said, I can, the great thing about teaching, here's my, my big teaching plug. You can do it anywhere and they need them everywhere. So if you want to be a teacher, you can literally go anywhere in the world and find a job. Besides the, the traveling part, what's uh, another thing or two that would be selling points to, you know, students that could be future teachers? How would you say, listen, this might be, this is why I enjoyed it. What I've always enjoyed the most is obviously number one, you know, the relationship with the students that you have every day and, you know, being able to mentor them or at least try and be a bright spot in their day. Um, you know, I know sometimes students, they might not love history, but I, I know I've had plenty of students who I know don't like history, but they still enjoyed my class because it's a fun atmosphere and we have a good time and we joke around sometimes and, you know, and things like that. So it's, you know, you know, that, that whole concept of a ripple effect of now, gosh, thousands of students that I've taught that maybe took a little something that I, you know, instilled in them with them through life. I'm not, I know not all of them, but some of them. And I still, every now and then you'll still hear from kids. Uh, you know, me and my wife started a foundation. So I sent out some stuff to, you know, just people I knew on Instagram and a bunch of old students got back to me and they were like, oh, that's so cool, Mr. Farley. I'm glad you're doing this. And I'm like, you're 30 something years old. You probably don't have to call me Mr. Farley anymore. But, um, and then just like the, the camaraderie of, you know, a faculty at a school. I mean, every school I've been at, you know, you, you get to work with cool people and meet cool people. And, you know, I've had jobs where like in, in Arizona, two of my best friends I still talk to every day were guys I worked with there. Um, I still talk to people from my first job on, in, on Long Island, you know, and we still keep up. And, you know, just that, um, especially the international, you, you, you meet people and, you know, from all walks of life and things like that. And it's, it's super cool. So, I mean, it's a, it's a kind of job where if you do it, I would argue moderate to well, um, you never have to worry about people riding you. You never have to worry about, I mean, I've had all different types of bosses and they've never, because I come in, I do my job and, you know, the students are happy and, you know, and, and challenged. And, you know, so I've never in my life feared for the stability of my job. Um, I've never had to, you know, bite my fingernails wondering, am I going to be laid off next year or, or things like that? Because it's a pretty darn stable job and it can be done just about anywhere. So, I mean, to me, that's the biggest, one of the greatest draws of teaching. It still is for me. I mean, as I said, it's something where, you know, but you have to enjoy it because I've also worked with plenty of people who for one reason or another thought it would be something different or, wanted summers off and thought, oh, 180 days a year, that's easy. And those are some of the most miserable people I've ever seen in my life because they recognize very quickly that this is a job where if you don't, if you're not into it, if you're not hundred percent in, it's going to chew you up real yeah. quick because yeah. whether it's the day-to-day the -day minutia of making sure you have, you know, whether your plans or, you know, the, the meetings you have to go to and all, all the kind of minutia that goes into teaching, um about the 10 o'clock at night idea that pops into your head or you're watching a show and you're like that would be a good lesson uh, right. the idea that teaching is 180 days um 
I don't recall having a year where that occurred, even during summer vacation, the idea of, okay, what comes next year and sure. what can I change? And, you know, keeping this job fresh for me to keep it exciting for me, because I think one of the issues that I saw when I was a student is some of those older teachers, they had their curriculum, it was set out, it was government-based, they just had to teach that. There was no imagination put into it. Right. And you could, you could tell it in the classroom. Lesson plan in a can, we used to call it, right? Yeah. Just open up the can, pour yeah. it out, and the lesson's ready to go. And, yeah. and the handouts are there and the worksheets. And yeah, and that's that's hopefully changed for the most part, uh, I think. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it's a constant. And like I said, like the, the things that weigh on you as far as, you know, things going on with your students or, you know, and things like that. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a different job. And I, as I said, I don't have too much basis of comparison to other types of jobs because my whole life has been in school when you really think about it right I went to college and then you know obviously I did other jobs like you know bartending waiting tables blah 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 but you know at the end of the day my career and my whole life has been in the schools so it's um I never had to leave it's pretty cool well uh thanks for doing this hey no, thank it. you man I appreciate it. this is really cool this is my first time being on a podcast so well don't don't make the last uh, we'll see yeah. <laughs> But no, it's awesome what you're doing here, man. And uh, you know, as I said, I hope uh, I hope this comes as value for anybody out there who's thinking about doing this in the future. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Kyle.